When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joshua. <laughs> so I am beat. This was an amazing, amazing weekend, but uh, we're operating, I'm operating on, I think, like maybe eight total hours of sleep since uh, we got to Atlanta on, uh, or to Georgia on Thursday. Was that when we got <laughs> Yes. Time has no meaning uh, when you're traveling in the pandemic. But um, yeah, so we're we're broadcasting to you from the Delta Terminal, uh, getting ready to at the Atlanta at the Atlanta Airport to getting ready to Atlanta Airport. Um, a little punch drunk from the weekend, but uh, getting ready to come back from the Renegade Film Festival. Yeah. Oh man, this was just so incredible. We met so many cool people and had so many good conversations about horror and about you know, the art of filmmaking. It was just, it was super, super fun. I mean, did you not have just a blast? Oh, I totally had a blast. I also, like, looked the most out of place because, you know, I had, like, I look, I, I, I'm wearing today to the airport what people were wearing, like, all the whole time. Yeah. And I look like your assistant, or at least, <laughs> at the very least, your accountant. <laughs> yes, my accountant, uh, who I must fire because I don't even want to look at how much money I've spent over the last few days but it's okay it's all good it's not on merch right no that's true that's true just lots of really really good food and good drinks and um yeah and on people you know yeah (laughs) so um this is our uh little preview for you this is a bonus episode this week um because we, the whole reason why we came, well, one of the big reasons why we came here is because we were asked to uh, moderate the Q&A for the final screening of the festival, Freaky, um, with Michael Kennedy, who is the screenwriter for that same film. Yeah, oh man, the conversation, it was so much fun just talking with him. I, I wish that our all of our conversations with him had been recorded, because <laughs> like our, our conversation before, you know, when he got there was like great, um, and afterwards, so, uh, but yeah, the panel was super fun. Um, you know, dear listener, we do our best, uh, some things get out of your control, so I know the, the sound might be a little fuzzy at times, but uh, we were able to capture uh, quite, quite a bit of our, our conversation with him, audience questions, and, 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 and our wrap-up, and it was, uh, oh, man, it was, it was super, super fun to do, like, Fright School Live, in a way. <laughs> yeah, so if you like Fright School Live, that's something you want to see, uh, let us know. But um, until then, this is going to give you a little proof of concept, I guess, is what they <laughs> hear that a lot. Uh, <laughs> uh, hear that a lot uh, this weekend. So um, without further ado, here is uh, the freaky Q&A with Michael Kennedy. Yeah, live from the Renegade Film Festival. And uh, real quick, just big thank you, big shout out to Vanessa Yonta Wright for uh, organizing a great festival and for having us, and just everybody involved. I mean, I uh, my I'm overflowing with cards of filmmakers that we get to follow up with and, and have on the show and bring to your to your earballs very very soon. <laughs> um, 
And on that note, we are going to leave before Hartsfield Jackson uh, fires us. Goodbye. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Hello, 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 Renegade Film Festival. Oh, wasn't that fucking delightful? Uh, <laughs> I'm Joshua. And I'm Joe. And we are Fright School, and we would like to invite Michael Kennedy down, the writer of Freaky, to join us. <laughs> While he comes down here. So for those of you in the audience, who was, uh, who was seeing this for the first time tonight? Who'd never seen it? Oh, wow. wow. I am so jealous of you all that you got to, one, experience this for the first time, because I would love to be able to go back and see this again for the first time. But you also got to experience in a theater with other people. And that's... Uh, <laughs> this uh, is my first time doing that. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, how cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. So we, are, we have a couple questions for you, and then we're going to uh, you know, do some audience uh, Q&A. But uh, first, before we dive into the movie, because I know Joe is just bursting at the seams, uh, to, to just take a minute to talk about Scooby Strode. My dog? Yes. <laughs> so for those who don't know or don't follow Michael, his dog, Scooby Strode, is the most adorable pup on Instagram. I just want to know when we're getting the Scooby Strode feature. I actually have an idea about her. And it's, it's her and her two stuffed elephants. And it would be a rear window, but with them. <laughs> so they would, and they are, obviously they can talk and stuff, but they'd see a murder and no one, they wouldn't be able to tell anybody about it because they're dogs and stuffed animals. So yeah, they would have to figure out the murder on their own. So it's like rear window and Toy Story and like Milo Yeah, Disturbia notice. meets Toy Story. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm so glad I got Don't to ask Don't steal that question. idea. I'm so glad I still got to ask yeah. this question. And Scooby's the lead. Joshua was like, you better not go up there and ask about his <laughs> dog. And I was like, I love that dog. She's the best. I love her too. <laughs> uh, uh, Joe. I, I love I, that I, she got the first question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, we'll do, we'll, we'll talk about Scooby first. That way. Yeah. yeah. No. It's, she's, she's my adorable. entire Instagram. Feed, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's uh, Michael TJ Kennedy. Yeah. At on Instagram, yeah. so yes, please find. It's delightful. <laughs> I see a dog. But, that's <laughs> that's my account. <laughs> All right, so uh, we to get into uh, chatting about the film. So we, um, re I revisited your the article that you wrote for Fangoria uh, that was my um, writing my way out yeah. uh, the path to freaky, and uh, I think it's uh, it, it was it's such a beautifully written piece. Thank you. Um, no, you're welcome. Maybe, well, I mean, <laughs> truly, uh, but it made me like reflect on my own like fandom it, with in horror like as a queer person because like growing up I grew up in like small town Ohio same well not same but Cleveland uh, there you Small go. enough. Well, yeah. <laughs> what part? Always, well, I grew up like always outside of Cincinnati, so okay. like these little tiny places. I went like, to Bowling Green and, College. So oh, okay. Small town. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think obviously like queer subtext. You know, when they when we analyze queer horror, a lot of times we talk about like uh, you know these sort of like the cisnormative heteropatriarchy. You know, that are writing these films. You know, they they make us the monsters, and we're right. encroaching on their normality, and and. Uh, uh, you know, because we were kind of taught to like 
you know, um, paid ourselves. Exactly. That's, <laughs> I was trying to find like a better way, you know, the, the yeah. uh, hegemonic discourses that we're internalizing. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we like see ourselves in the monsters and that's, was not your experience for the first like big horror film that you saw in a theater. No, I, I want you to please like t- talk about that and, uh, how that influenced your choices um, in Freaky. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of a late horror bloomer because I didn't start watching them until I was 16 which is preposterous in any other genre um, but yeah because everyone I know started watching them. they're like I watched The Exorcist when I was four and I'm like fuck okay um, <laughs> but I grew up in an Irish Catholic conservative household so we weren't allowed to watch rated R movies there was like we weren't even allowed to watch like Roseanne and Married with Children and stuff so I wasn't allowed to watch that stuff so I remember I just wasn't allowed to watch it, and I was always scared, even if I saw a Freddy commercial when I was little. But I saw Halloween for like 10 minutes when I was eight. My brother was watching it on like one of those back in the day when people actually watched like local television. And it was playing some afternoon, and I was watching it with them, and I like had to leave the room. It was terrifying. So I didn't see a scary movie again until Scream came out, and I actually got tricked into seeing it. Um, my high school friends were like, oh, we're going to see this movie and it's a comedy and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no. But uh, first five minutes, like the first, obviously people know this opening scene and within five minutes I was like terrified, but I also was starting to like have like an actual like physical reaction, but like in a, I was like, I hate this, but I love it at the same time. So I was obsessed. I Like by the time Drew Barrymore gets it's a 25-year-old movie. By the time Drew Barrymore gets killed, um, <laughs> I was like, I'm obsessed with this. And then by the end of the movie, I was like, oh my God, this is life-changing. <clears throat> Not only because Sidney Prescott is just... I remember sitting in the theater and I was in the closet. I was 16. I didn't know really what, what I was or who I was fully yet, but I knew something was different about me. And I was like just so drawn to her because she just had this like quiet fierceness about her and she just she made me feel like I was kind of watching myself on screen so I had that reaction to the movie and then when I walked out of the theater I actually turned to one of my friends and I was like I'm gonna make one of those one day and like was like a C English student in high school like hated writing short stories and stuff but I just started writing screenplays in like a spiral notebook and that kind of stuff so when I moved out to LA it took me a while to like find my footing I worked in production for like seven or eight years but when I finally got around to finally making a movie like this getting a partner with Chris Landon on it a was like a dream come true because how the hell that even happened is like beyond me still oh yeah this was perfect in his hands yes and when I pitched him the movie it was a practice I was supposed to go pitch it to Blumhouse by myself and I ended up pitching it to Chris and he was like pitching me these like really awesome jokes and he's like, oh, what about this instead of this? And like, what if they did this? And I'm just like, finally, it's just like, I'm just going to ask him. And I was like, do you want to do this with me? And he's like, yeah. So I was like, oh my God, this is insane. So he kind of had a similar upbringing. He, you know, he's, he's the son of like famous Michael Landon, but he had a very hard queer upbringing too not with his dad, but with school and that kind of stuff, you know? So, like, we had a lot of sensibility, share the same sensibility when it comes to this genre. And when we sat down to write Freaky, we took a lot of our love for slashers. Like, we love Sydney, we love Laurie Strode, we love Nancy, we love all, all the greats. But we just kept saying, like, what can we do that's just a little bit different? And for us, it was just making it gay as fuck, quite <laughs> frankly. Because... 
we wanted 16-year-olds now to get a movie that we wished we got when we were 16. So that's kind of, like, we were like, let's just copy Scream in the opening, but make it gay. And then we're like, oh, let's just copy Happy Death Day, but make it gay. Like, we just kept, like, doing that kind of stuff. So it was pretty cool. Well, I, it was very successful. It feels like a you know a great love letter, uh, you know, it to is. to to yeah. the genre. And yeah, it's queer as fuck, and yeah. that's like delightful. Uh, so just to talk a little bit about that, like the the Joshua character, yeah. uh, who it's like, man, I wish I was because if I'd seen him on screen, I, I mean, I got kind of lucky, even though I grew up in like small towns. Um, I kind of was him to some degree. Oh, great. Like I I was able to be out, and it's because I'm. Uh, um, <laughs> what's the word histrionic so it's kind of fun to like be like it's super gay and like scare everybody <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know so I'm like yeah exactly I am the monster <laughs> damn it uh, and I look fabulous doing it um, but you know it was, it was so I, I'm like man this would be so interesting now for people to experience I'm just wondering I'm wondering about the creation of because he's so complex like I, I love there's a throwaway line early on where his friend uh, you know Nyla is like you know that sounds really rapey and he's like well <laughs> you know, it, so, so it adds this yeah it adds this like <laughs> complexity again not like you know enthusiastic consent kids but um always (laughs) always but it's like he's just he's so complex like i've not really seen many queer characters yeah chris and i were like there we we looked at the character and we were like we didn't want a coming out story because we didn't feel we were the right people to do it first of all and second of all there's there's been a ton of it like we wanted our main goal with this joshua was to finally show a character in a horror movie in a slasher movie especially who isn't the butt of the joke who is so 100% themselves at all times and quite honestly we're like let's make them a little problematic because I feel like in even more so just two years later than this movie came out there's kind of like a I don't know what the word I'm looking for I don't want to say puritanical but there's almost like you ha- your queer characters have to be perfect in order to, like, have proper representation. But Chris and I were just, like, we're all so different and complex, and we have, we say and do stupid shit that we're just, like, let's let this character do that. You know, like, there's something endearing about it, too, because we kind of were, like, looking at him as, like, kind of like the asshole that you do. There's usually, but that's usually played by, like, a straight jock. And we're, like, what if the queer character did this, you know? And in my POV, Nyla's queer as well. We never explicitly stated, but she's super queer too. So it was really fun to just have these like two queer kids running around constantly the entire movie and essentially being like, you know, Catherine is a movie star, Vince is a movie star, but I always look at the movie as Nyla and Josh's personally. I think they're the true leads of the movie and they're the ones really doing everything. Yeah, they're, you know, they're the heart. You know, there's exactly. a lot of heart there. No, again, yeah. I like the, I, I enjoy the complexity of him because it's like just that reminder, like queer men are men and are uh, still kind of going through society in these same discourses that all yeah, men are. Yeah, and we wanted people to know he's sexual. Like, yeah. you know, like that he has a sex drive and that there's not a lot of choice for him. Like we always describe Joss in pre-production as like this kid's one step ahead of everybody else in this town and he knows as soon as he graduates he's going on to bigger and better things. So while he's stuck in Blissfield, he's just kind of like, fuck it. I'm going to be me constantly and if that pisses people off, I don't care. Yeah, well, yeah. we love it. <laughs> uh, let me turn it over to Joe. Uh, so my personal like top three favorite kills <laughs> are is the very first one in this film where the wine bottle, the wine bottle 
And when I saw that, I was I was watching with my partner, and I was like, "Holy crap!" And he has he's not a horror fan either, uh, and he hates jump scares and kills <laughs> and all that. So I was like, "Okay, well, him. we're in for a ride." So my question to you is, what was the first kill, and what's your favorite? So what was the first kill that you wrote? Like oh, that, that we wrote. It was the um, well. Tell you the truth, I wrote the first pass of the cold open, um, and it pretty much happens in the movie the way I wrote it, but then Chris called me when he read my like first 11 pages, and he goes, dude, I just got off doing two Happy Death Day movies that were both PG-13. He goes, the rating for that movie really fit because of the, you know, people gave him shit for making a PG-13 slasher movie. I'm sorry, but I think they're both really great movies and scary, but he came... And he said the premise alone lent itself to the fact that you didn't need gore in those movies because she essentially wakes up as soon as she's killed. So he's like, you could just smash cut to her waking up in bed. So when I wrote the opening, it was just like stab deaths. It was kind of very scream in the sense where it wasn't like about the kills, but more about the suspense and stuff. And he calls me and he's like, dude, no, we're going for this. He goes, I'm putting a wine bottle down someone's throat like in the movie Sorority Row, but I'm smashing in their fucking throat after that to show the difference. He goes, and I'm going to crush somebody's head with a toilet seat and then we're going to put it. And he just like listed the four deaths from the opening of the movie. So then within like four hours, I got, his rewrite of those pages, and I was like, this is awesome. Um, so I was like, oh, this is the kind of movie we're doing. Um, he had a clear vision for the, the violence, and he also we also knew once we started writing the violence that the tone itself, the violence wouldn't be so icky. Weirdly enough, when you're sawing somebody in half, people like hear everyone laughed, you know, and that was the tone we were going for, and that's my favorite kill. <laughs> is... is yeah, that, is, that teacher is based on a teacher I had in high school. Um, so I always laugh when I would see a reviewer be like, oh, the shop teacher is just so mean to this student on purpose. I'm like, did you not go to high school? Um, I actually had the teacher that this was based on actually asked me in front of my class one day if I was light in the loafers when I was 16. So when we started writing the script, I was like, can we please just, can I just please write this teacher? I was like, it's Mr. Corrigan. And then I like went and told him about Mr. Corrigan. He's like, yes, let's kill him viciously. <laughs> yeah. So I initially, I wrote his death scene first. I was like, you got to let me kill him on paper. And Chris was like, this is going to take like a week to film. Can we pare it down a little bit? And that's when he came up with the chainsaw death. Because I had him get stabbed like 50 times. <laughs> It was pretty brutal. I had a, a few gym teachers like that. So yes. I, he was my uh, science teacher. Oh. Yeah. Oh, man. So, and I had him as science teacher in the script, and Chris was like, let's put him in a shop class. He goes, they still do those, right? So, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's such a gratifying death because he's really such, is. He's such, a he's such an asshole. <laughs> but the funny thing is, is Alan Ruck is like the sweetest, the sweetest man. He did two days on the movie, and he was so, 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 so sweet. Um, and watching him scream for like two hours was hilarious because he, he had to lay on that table for over and over and over and over again. But that death you see in the movie is the only shot we got. We oh, only wow. got to saw a body once because we didn't have enough time to do it again. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. good thing it worked out. Yeah. <laughs> and it is yeah, a great that's moment. actually a happy accident. The half of the body that stays on the table, that wasn't supposed to happen. But it looked cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's uh, open it up to some audience questions. Thankfully, I have my running docs on. And we're going to... Hi, kind of, Austin. Where were the <laughs> questions? Oh, start with you. <laughs> Hi. Hi. I'm a big fan of the movie. I'd never seen it before, but that was definitely on my list. So I'm so glad I could see it here. Oh, thanks. Um, did you like it? What's that? Did you like it? I loved it. Yeah. 
was wonderful. Thank you. Um, I was just wondering, because I thought the family dynamic between Millie and her mom and her sister was really interesting throughout the whole movie. Um, I was wondering, like, how did you go about developing that in writing? And what was your favorite part about writing Millie's character specifically? Um, well, this movie was born out of the death of my dad, weirdly enough. Um, <laughs> um, my dad died, it'll be four years ago this April, and I was watching Happy Death Day. Didn't know Chris at the time yet, and really loved how he worked, how Tree's main story was about reeling from the death of her mom. And I actually sat there and I go, I wonder if this is Chris. I didn't know him at the time, but I knew him enough to know that like he had lost both his parents and all this stuff. And I was like, I guarantee he's got to be like working through some shit with this character. And I was like, I should do that. And then my very next thought was, okay, how do I rip off Happy Death Day? And I literally Googled like top hundred comedies of all time. And I was like, oh, Freaky Friday, let's do that. But that is the genesis of the movie, but also the genesis of the character. I knew from the minute I started thinking about the movie that I wanted Millie to really be reeling from her father's death a year after it happened. And my first, I didn't have like a year of this, but the six weeks after my dad died, I have six older siblings. So the seven of us all reacted very differently to it, but I had two sisters where it was a text barrage day in and day out to the point that I finally had to say, you got to stop texting me for a little bit because I can't move on. And so I felt like Millie for six weeks and that's where her character started. And I, I'm an alcoholic. I'm seven years sober. My dad drank. He was 30 years sober when he died and stuff. So I really wanted to explore that aspect of it. I wanted to honor him weirdly in that way with Millie's mother. Um, and then the sister, sister is just kind of accumulation of my four sisters. <laughs> so it was really, when I actually wrote the first outline of the movie before Chris was on board, they were actually the entire story, but Chris was the one that was like, I think it needs to be more friendship focused, but let's use the family as the emotion through the whole movie. So he was the one that kind of pared it down a little bit, but also hit all those really sweet spots that you see in the film. And we just wanted the whole drive to be told through Millie's eyes. So I think when you're 17, whether you have a parent death or not, you feel lonely. Even the popular kids and the jocks, I think all of us experienced that at some point. We really wanted people to feel for Millie. So that's where that came from. I hope I answered your question. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Hi. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. It's nice to hear like the, the personal aspects that you put into the film. Thanks. It's, it's really cool. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, you mentioned it earlier. What was it like working with Blumhouse and like pitching to them? Like what was that relationship like with the script and what was the relationship that you had with like Christopher Landon in the script, like how much of it was you writing and then him like giving yeah. you feedback? Um, well, I ended up, when I pitched it to Chris's practice, he ended up saying, cancel the pitch. We're going to write this on spec. Um, we just thought it would be better for us creatively if we controlled the script before letting anyone see it. So that's how that happened. We then took it to Blumhouse first because of his relationship with them. I at the time was doing a podcast for them. So I had a connection with them too. So we kind of did a thing with them where we were like, here's this script. Chris wants to direct this as soon as possible. You have the weekend, and then on Monday we're going to send it to all the studios. Um, and because of that, in a way, and because of Chris's relationship with Jason Blum, he's done like six movies with them. 
they they bought it over the weekend. We got it's it's a situation I don't think will ever happen to me again. Quite frankly, it's a very rare thing for a movie to be bought in seventy two hours. I think it was. We didn't even get it to the other studios because Blumhouse took it off the table. So because we wrote it and because of how fast they responded to it, they were really supportive. Um, in fact, Jason Blum read the first draft of the script and he was like, go gayer. Like we were afraid that Kiss especially would be something that Universal and Blumhouse would push on. And like Jason Blum was texting Chris when he read that and he's like, holy shit, the Kiss, the audience is going to go nuts. This is amazing. So we had a really, really great support. The only thing we really had to answer to from them is just budget. Like the original draft, I think was budgeted like twenty five million, and they're just not going to make a movie that big. We had a, we had twenty two deaths in our first draft. We had to cut those in half. Um, just a lot of set pieces and stuff. So I learned a lot in that sense from Blumhouse on how to really work towards a budget and not a negative way, which was cool. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, and the writing, Chris and I wrote every day together. Yeah, and if we didn't sit together, we actually assign pages to each other. So it was a pretty 50-50 thing. Right, uh, first of all, we've seen the movie a few times, and me and my wife both love the movie. It's fantastic. Um, but uh, from the writer's standpoint, I know a lot of times you don't get a lot of say-so in, in casting and who plays what. Did you get any input as far as casting, and did you have anyone in mind like as you were writing? Like, were you picturing certain actors in mind? Uh, yeah, actually, Chris... Um, from day one, let it be known to essentially anyone we were working with that he's like, this is more Michael's movie than it's mine because he's the one that came up with this and I'm lucky he's letting me work in this. And it's like, honestly, like, I can't believe he says that because it's like Chris Landon. So he told everybody from the very beginning he wanted me with him the whole way um, because he really wanted me to just learn everything and see everything. And he wanted me to see my story come to life. So I was involved, not like in pre-production and stuff, but he let me see every tape of auditions. He let me weigh in on every audition. He let me weigh in on casting as much as I wanted. And granted, he didn't like, we didn't, I didn't cast the movie, but like Alan Ruck was my idea and he ended up going with him. Um, Misha, he and I were both like, yes, that's Joshua. We saw probably 200 tapes for Misha and we were just like, what's going on? Why can't we find this character? And then we got Misha's tape and we're like, there's, that's Josh. Um, and then I was there every day on set. He let me come and sit next to him in a chair in Video Village. And a couple times I rewrote lines for him while we were sitting there. I'd be like, oh, this sounds wrong. What about this? And he'd be like, it was really awesome how collaborative he was. And he's like that with everyone on the crew. Austin, who was in our crew, in the purple right there, can attest to how great Chris was. It was a fun, fun, fun fucking shoot, too. So, I think I answered your question. I'm really bad at remembering the questions. Hi. Hi. So excited to talk to you. Oh, hi. A little bit starstruck. Gonna do great. <laughs> I just want you to I'm talk nobody. about the backseat makeout scene. What about it? I just want you to hear your thoughts on it. Oh, I fucking love it. It's yeah, so great. Me too. Um, when Chris and I were writing that, we were like, should we? Should we not? Should we? Should we? And we're like, fuck it. They're kissing. Absolutely kissing. Fuck everybody if they don't like it. Um, and the thing I really love about it, two things, is that Chris knew right away he was shooting it, shooting it earnestly. It, he wasn't shooting it for a laugh. 
we know people laugh because it is, it's cute as fuck and it's very funny, but I love that. I think when I hear the laugh, I can tell whether people are laughing with it or at it and they're definitely laughing with it. Um, and the other aspect of it is Vince, um, asked me about my journey growing up as a queer kid and used it in that scene emotionally. He like asked me before he shot it if he could, which is crazy. Cause I'm like, how would I know? I'm not in your head. And he's like, Oh, it's just respectful. Um, so it was really amazing to see that I actually cried during the first take because I was like, I can't believe this is fucking happening. Let alone that I was there making a movie in Atlanta, by the way, we were here, um, watching my words be said and then watching two dudes kiss. Yeah, it was so fun. And we shot it over, Austin, how long were we there? Like maybe five hours doing that? Six? Because we were in that little tiny car. There was supposed to be coverage all over that scene, so there was supposed to be stuff from outside the car and, like, from different windows and all that stuff. And after the first take, Chris did it as a one-shot, and you just see the slow track in. He was like, I don't need the coverage. Let's just do this a couple more times, which was cool, because I love that it's one sh- one take. Yeah. You're welcome. Sorry, just to cut in real quick on that. Um, uh, that scene is amazing, but the other thing is, like, as much as we talk about, like, queer representation and, like, kind of seeing yourself, what I really love about that whole moment is you have an ostensibly, like, straight boy, Booker, like, seeing Millie for who she is in the body. Yeah. Like, that's regardless. And it's such, like, a cool moment. Like, this teenage boy going, no, like, I know who you are. Yeah. And when we, uh, you love know, it. we're constantly in these conversations about who gets to be real. And it, it, it's just such a cool yeah, thing. Yeah, and there actually was a note we kept getting from someone that kept saying, like, he wanted us to some reason to add, <clears throat> I don't care what you look like. And we're like, dude, no. And he's like, why can't she, why can't he say that? I'm like, do you realize what you're implying that like what they look like now is not good enough I was like you have no idea it was a straight guy so (laughs) I was like just let the two queers decide what this character is gonna say so I'm really glad that we didn't add that line because I think it's so much more powerful without it Hi. First of all, congratulations. This is the third time I've seen the film. Oh, thanks. And it holds up every single time. Yay. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a while. I was like, I hope it doesn't suck all of a sudden. (laughs) Well, did you enjoy it? (laughs) I had so much fun. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, My question is, well, first of all, Vince Vaughn is perfect casting. Yes. Perfect casting for this. Was he your first choice? He was, and so is Catherine. And I think someone asked that already. I'm sorry, I forgot to answer. They both, we wrote it for Catherine and Vince. And Chris, I remember when we were writing it, he's like, we'll be lucky to get one of them. We'll probably get none of them, so let's have backups. And Catherine's team actually passed on the movie without telling her. So we were looking for somebody else, and then Vince signed on, and suddenly Catherine's team was like, oh, she'll do the movie. Yeah. And when Catherine found that out, ooh, and she made it public during the press tour, which was great. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, ca- the entire cast is fabulous. I think it's you guys cast. did an amazing job. And Celeste, who plays Nyla, and um, Misha, who plays Josh, they were such gems to find because neither of them had done much. Um, and now, like, Celeste was just in the Ghostbusters movie, and she's the love interest, I believe, in that movie. And Misha was just on a TV show on Peacock. So it was really cool to like, this both their first movies, I believe. Um, and they've both really thrived. And I think that's my favorite part of this. Other uh, questions from the audience? Ah, there we are. <laughs> Jog down here. 
I, by the way, this film was my favorite film of 2020. Just so oh, you know. Thanks. And I I paid this to rent it, even though I can go to the theater. I don't know Blu-ray. I love it. I love it. Thank uh, I, you. I, I, I love your voice uh, as a writer. I want to ask. Um, a lot of times you write a script, and then when characters embody that, they bring something different, either to dialogue or even to the actions that happen. You know, when you're shooting, yeah. things changes. Were there any kind of things that you can think of that changed from your initial script or? Even dialogue based on the. You know, we worked really close with Misha on their dialogue. Um, they they had a very clear understanding of the character that we wrote, but they also wanted him to be a little bit more authentic. So they're you know I'm 41 now. I was 39 when we were shooting the movie, and Chris was. He was like 12. No, he was in his 40s, um, and. Misha, I think was 26 at the time. And what's crazy is they're still 26 if you ask them. And um, <laughs> they, they brought a lot of just like really cool, just like lingo and stuff that doesn't sound lingo. Like, you know, like you see those movies and they're like, they're trying to make them sound like Gen Z. And you're like, this is going to be outdated in six months. Misha had a really good knack for saying, this is kind of a little bit, no offense, Michael, 40, and, like, let me bring a little bit of, like, a teenage edge to this, you know? Um, like, my favorite moment, actually, and it's so stupid because, like, no one notices it, but when Nyla's like, what the fuck just happened? And Misha says, that's real. Misha must have said that 50 times a day on set that we ended up putting it in the fucking script because we wrote that ambulance scene during production. We didn't have it, and we realized, like, a week in a production, Chris comes up to me during, like, be, like as, like, one, as they were, like, moving um, Video Village or something. He's like, I realize we don't have a wrap-up with the kids. Like, we realize the kids just save the day, and then you never, <laughs> you never saw them again. Um, so we had to, like, write this wrap-up scene, and we, like, went to them. We essentially wrote it with Misha. We're like, what would you guys say to each other here? And they ended up cutting most of it, which sucked, but... Um, so yeah, and uh, uh, Catherine was Vince. But <laughs> so any really huge laugh, I have to give Vince credit. That whole like high five thing, he created that that morning with the kids. Um, so then, thankfully, we shot that scene before they shot it outside the football field. So then Catherine had to learn that handshake. Um, so he he came up with that on the fly the whole like I just needed friends right now and you're beating the shit out of me improved so like there was a lot of really cool moments of Vince just kind of being like I'm gonna Chris is really good about letting each actor have their take um so he's just like do whatever you want so Vince took that very literally um so there were several days where you were like Austin do you remember that when he did the high five the entire crew started clapping. It was insane. Like it was like the entire crew was scream laughing and then the dance. Yeah, it was, there was a lot of really cool stuff like that. The stress cited hashtag, the all that was Vince and like watching it now, it's really funny, but it's also like, Oh, you're such a 50 year old. You know what I mean? Cause like no teenage girl's going to say that, but it works in the movie cause it's coming out of his mouth. Um, yeah. So we, they were, Chris was really great about letting actors kind of feel their characters and stuff. Thank you so much. Yeah. Other questions, especially way in the back. <laughs> Getting my steps in today. <laughs> which is good for me. <laughs> Hi, 
Hi again. Hello. <laughs> um, I was just curious if you, like, what are you working on now? Um, like, what are you, what are you doing? Oh, now? good question. Yeah. Uh, my next movie comes out sometime this year. It's called Time Cut. Okay. Um, that's essentially a time travel version of this. I don't know Word. how to do anything else. And then uh, I'm shooting my third movie this November that I'm also a producer on for the first time. And it's another slasher movie. Um, I can't say much. Chris and I are writing something together again right now. Um, we literally just finished our outline yesterday. And that is in the action comedy space. So we're both not doing a horror movie for the, for the first time, which is cool. But it's very gay. So gay. You're going to be so happy. Um, let's see. I'm pitching it. I'm doing an animated horror anthology series. I got a ton. It's crazy how much I have going on, but like I can't really say much because who knows if some of it will even happen, but yeah. That's so exciting. Yay. Thank you. I can tell you my next movie that's shooting is a Christmas slasher. I can say that. that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you just think about the kind of stuff I make, you might be able to figure out what it is. (laughs) I love that. It's another mashup. (laughs) Another genre mashup. So I love that too. That's my favorite. Uh, Mixing Christmas and horror, I throw a big scary crypts. crypts no killer party. Santa. That's something it. different. Oh, well, that would be great. Yeah. Um, actually, what else can you tell us about Time Cut? Like, do you know, like, the release? Like, uh, Time any... Cut is still in post right now. We don't. Oh, it's, it's one of those situations where the producer, once he greenlit the movie, he decided he wanted to fund it himself because he wanted complete control over it because he liked it so much. So... He's self-financed, so when it's done, it's one of those deals where he'll shop it to all the studios and streamers. So I don't know who's going to release it. My bet is he's done his last five movies with Netflix, so my bet is it'll end up being a Netflix movie, and it's probably sometime in the fall, but it's just a guess because they're still editing it right now. Yeah, this it was sort of like Back to the Future meets Scream is what I heard. Back to the Future meets Scream, yeah. It's yeah. just fucking delightful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's super fun. Oh, yeah. I have a fun... I always have the fun question. Okay. Um, Is it about Scooby again? It, no, it uh, actually involves your fiancé. It's about... <laughs> involves Beyonce? No, your fiancé. Oh, my fiancé. I can make it Beyonce. My fiancé is like Beyonce. Oh, okay. We'll talk right, about that offline. Um, so, in... In the cafeteria where they're asking uh, Millie as the butcher the four questions and like, you know, how how you can determine if this is the person who they actually say they are. Can you tell me what if what if you were in another person's body, if you were in Joshua's body and Joshua was trying to tell your fiance, um, this is actually me. What's one question that he would ask you? Oh, wow. Do you think this is like Matt? This is like newlywed game. So. I mean, I think he'd ask me what my favorite scary movie is. Because I think, yeah, most people assume it's Scream, but it's Scream 2. So I think, I think that would be the one he'd ask. Or he'd be like, which sister do you hate the most? <laughs> Not true. I love all my sisters. But yeah, I think he would ask me what my favorite scary movie is. Is that right? Or what, Bubba, what Scooby's full name is? That's a good one. Scooby's full name. Lady Scooby McCutie, Bubba Pig 2, Strode. Yeah. <laughs> now we all know, so. Repeat it. I, I can't, so. 
we did record this though, so haha. Uh, <laughs> Were there any more uh, audience questions? All right. Well, um, I guess the last thing we we always like to ask about, like, why horror? Like, how would you answer that question? Like, for you, what keeps you interested? What? Why? <laughs> well, I think initially I just it was like overcoming a fear, and then I think it over helped me. It helped me overcome like the biggest fear of my life was which being who I am. Um, I found a lot of safety in it. And it's just fucking fun. It's so fun. And I also think it's the only genre right now. I mean, all genres are doing it, but I think it's the only genre right now that's consistently saying something. Um, But that's what I love about it is like, there's no such thing as like a drama that's talking about like current events and then also like a really fun drama. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's what's cool about horror is like you can have like a really awesome, powerful movie like Get Out and then you can do something stupid like this and like they exist in the same world, you know? Um, and I think that's fun about it is like it's such a mood. You know, like it's such a like whatever you're vibing with that day, horror provides what you need yeah I love that it's like I'll put on Texas Chainsaw Massacre to like take a nap you know what I mean like (laughs) I'm not alone (laughs) he's like you're napping I'm like yeah he goes Sally's screaming in the kitchen I was like I know it's the white noise machine she's telling me to go to sleep No, I, I totally agree. Like horror is always primed to kind of really quickly respond to cultural anxiety, to events yep. that happen. And, I mean, that's what makes it amazing. And that, uh, you know, I mean, we could sit and talk for, I mean, there's so much to unpack in Freaky. Like even if it's like, oh, it's not like get out. Or you know what I mean? Like yeah. these ideas of elevated horror. Well, horror like, is no, so I mean, it's, just fluid. Yeah. And it's like so easily goes with the times. I also love that like it is a, in a lot of ways it can be a time capsule too. Um, which is like super cool. It's like when you watch Friday the 13th, you're just totally transported to the 80s, but it still holds up. Yeah. Um, and I don't, you know, I just love it so much. It's the best. Yeah, no, we treat it like archaeology, like anthropology. I mean, there's so much, like, it's truly, like, you go back and you can just see so much. You can really track human history. And, yeah, you can and track events, what's going on in like, America, especially at the time, oh, yeah, too. When yeah, you watch some of this old stuff, you know. Um, yeah. Oh, man. Well, thank you so much thank for you. traveling and, and being with us here in yeah, Georgia at the Renegade Film Festival. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you, everybody, Thanks, y'all. Uh, for all your great questions. Uh, we have been Fright School, and uh, yeah, no words are next. Thank you. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.